Welcome back to the Unlockable Podcast, and thank you guys for listening. Today's episode is all about genres, and I think it's going to be on par with our Ports, Remakes, and Remasters episode. Hannah and I have over 25 pages of notes between the two of us, so we're actually going to make this a two-parter. Episode 2 will come out in July, but right now you're in for a solid part 1 full of debate, and you're most likely to learn something. I mean, you probably learn something every time you listen to our podcast, right? Give us a good rating wherever you're listening to this, whether it be with a thumbs up on YouTube or a five stars on Apple Podcasts, and let's start breaking down some video game genres. Thanks for tuning in to episode 28 of the Unlockable Podcast. I'm Christian, and joining me as always is the Game Girl Advance SP herself. That's me. I heard, Hannah, that you have not had Wi-Fi for a while. Dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Wi-Fi in my building has been out for a week. I just now got it back yesterday. I woke up to it, and I was like, oh, praise the Lord. It has been a rough <laughs> week, let me tell you. Yeah, dude, I mean, I can't even imagine. I cannot live with that Wi-Fi. I'm a full-on millennial. Um, You know, I try to tell myself, like, oh, you know, I have a DVD player and all these DVDs. I have Game Boy. I have old consoles. Like, why do I need internet? And then it's like, I don't know, I'm waiting for a game to load, and usually I whip out my phone or something. And I know that's probably a bad habit, but that's how it is in 2022. And, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I I can't do with that Wi-Fi. Yeah, I'm on that. I'm full-blown millennial, too. I, you know, didn't say I wanted to be dramatic about it, but my God, it was awful. (laughs) I watched, I think, a thousand episodes of Triple D, Diners, Drive-In, and Dines on regular cable TV. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that show is called. At least I watched a thousand episodes of that. I I mean, everybody loves freaking, uh, what's his name? spiky guy hair Fieri. guy oh heck yeah guys grocery <laughs> games is a classic too man yep yep i watched some of those too can't go wrong with it um yeah i thank god you had something to do i know right play with my uh what are they called pickup sticks and my jacks <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i guess you're gonna you're gonna skip the part where you said that you were using the hotel across the streets wi-fi uh, well, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there's a hotel across the street from my uh, apartment, and every so often it'll, like, flicker onto my computer Wi-Fi, and it'll be, like, really weak signal, and it'll work for, like, 20 minutes, and then it'll stop, and then I'll see it randomly again in the day, and it'll get all excited, and then it'll stop. So, yeah, I had, I had little trickles of Wi-Fi. That was me, my desperation. <laughs> Let's get into it, Hannah. What have you been buying lately? Anything at all? No, <laughs> I have not. Unfortunately, I know it's another one of those weeks where you just totally outshine me in what you've bought. But no, not since I mentioned everything last time. I have not bought anything. I kind of overspent last month. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> oh, just today I actually got a couple of PC games in the mail. Uh, Atomic Bomberman, a game that apparently came out in 97 for Windows 95. I don't know. Um pretty neat it's a giant box pc big box game i think it looks awesome i think it's hilarious that 
PC big boxes are like so large for for the shelf and to like impress customers. And then you take it home, you open it up, and all that's in there is a jewel case. It's just, <laughs> it's. I love how monstrous they are. <laughs> it's a tease. Yeah, uh, I've been buying some GameCube games again. Nothing special. I do have to bring up something that popped up on eBay that I was able to score uh, this month. I got the. <laughs> It's a 1998 E3 promotional item for Rayman 2. It is an earring, a literal earring. And I don't know the full story as to why this exists. <laughs> um, but this, it's it literally says the, the live Rayman show starring Rayman. And I don't know if there was some kind of a panel happening and... Because it's got a time and place on it. It's like, hey, you need to be here at E3 to see to the live Rayman show. I have no idea. Is um, it a single earring or like a pair? A single earring, which wow. I think That's goes with weirder. like the pirate theme. I think it goes with the pirate theme. It's like oh. a giant gold hoop. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm so happy to have it. I've seen it before. And someone wanted 50 bucks and I wasn't doing it, so I scored it for 25 shipped. Wow. A Most I've earring. ever spent on an earring and also the least <laughs> I've ever spent on an earring. <laughs> oh, how are you even going to display that? Hang it up? <laughs> you think I'm not wearing it right now? <laughs> oh, true? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a little Rayman shelf. It's the only game series that gets its own shelf in my game room, so... Uh, I have an earring. Congrats. I got Link's Awakening DX. So I got like the box empty a while ago. Just got the cartridge and manual to complete that. Might have actually mentioned that on the last episode. I don't remember. Um, But yeah, aside from that, nothing crazy. I have not been buying a ton of stuff lately. I've been losing some auctions lately, actually. But oh, yeah. no. <laughs> That's always devastating um what you been playing though um well nothing that uses wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> um i even this is so sad i wanted to sit down and play the demo for monster hunter rise sunbreak the new like big dlc expansion pack and i was uh -huh. like oh you know i can play on my switch i just can't play on the internet so that'd be perfect and then i was like i can't even download it it's Tragic. awful i know so i wanted to play that and i will get on that now that i have wi-fi but yeah that was that was what i wanted to play and i couldn't even do it so nothing. <laughs> you bought nothing. You played nothing. It's just been a rough month, I guess. And I've basically just been sitting here staring at the wall. <laughs> uh, I beat Guardians of the Galaxy. Pretty sweet game. Would recommend. I have been playing Super Mario Strikers. Now, we should probably talk about that for a minute. I got it day one. I think it's a solid game. But... I've talked to my friends about it, and I, I have to agree with them. The They're going the Mario Golf route, and by that I mean they give you a decent game up front, and they are going to give you free updates along the way in hopes to keep the game alive longer. Um, that probably helps them sell more copies at the end of the day. You know, every time it's 
gets like rejuvenated then they can tweet about it and people are like oh i forgot about that game let me go buy that now as opposed to just one initial launch like i can see that from a marketing standpoint um however the game is pretty lacking right now and i don't know it's probably not worth 60 dollars at the moment like i am having a pretty good time with it the online is not laggy good job nintendo on that um and there's like some some fun competitive stuff to do you can play with friends and like be on like a clan so to speak uh and i've been enjoying that with one of my friends who got the game so i'm very i'm very impressed with nintendo's online on this game um but yeah there's no story per se you just kind of play against computers and you can roll the credits and quote unquote beat the game but it at least mario golf had like an actual story mode um yeah i don't know i don't think it's worth 60 i think you guys can wait you listeners out there can wait a little bit until the updates are in until there's more characters more maps um but yeah that's my quick review on mario strikers well, that's good yet disappointing at the same time. At least, at least the Wi-Fi isn't, or not the Wi-Fi. The the connection isn't laggy between online. For sure, play. it's honestly better than Mario Golf was. I mean, Mario Golf requires less of your internet. I feel like, and uh, still was was kind of laggy. So, hmm. Other than that, get on that. Your boy <laughs> beats Super Mario Sunshine. I freaking did it. Our least favorite game here on the Unlockable Podcast. That is true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and is that, is that also, still your opinion of the game? It is certainly my least favorite Mario game. Um, it's not an awful game, but it is not the oh. best Mario game. It's not even. It's got to be the worst Mario game, right? I mean, it's not... <laughs> Mario games are all good, I would say, but this one is the least good if that makes any sense. It was not... I would not play that game again. Okay, good. So you're still... (laughs) You're still of a very similar opinion. Good. I'm glad. I really was going into this thinking, okay, I'm going to figure out what my issue is with this game, and I still don't really understand it. I don't know what the problem (laughs) is with Sunshine. There's something wrong with it. and the camera are all bad. (laughs) Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge on the Game Boy. That was a pretty fun. This is probably the easiest Castlevania game that I've that that exists. I would say so. If you're into Castle or if you're wanting to get into Castlevania, you might start with that one. Hmm. But let's get into the news. We have started to try to keep track of the news a little better. Um, We do have a good amount of stuff written here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let me go first here. I had written down Super Bomberman R Online Service Termination. So this one, I've talked about this game on the podcast quite a few times. This was like a big disappointment. Um not the termination of the service, but the game itself was a disappointment. Um, it started out as a Google Stadia exclusive, and then they brought it to consoles as free-to-play, and it's not really free-to-play because you do have to pay for some stuff, and 
it's not worth playing unless you pay for the stuff. I don't know. It's a pretty disappointing game. It's no surprise that Konami is turn, turning off the servers this year, December 1st, 2022. Um, yeah, doubt anybody is going to miss that game. I hope, though, that it means Konami is going to do a better Battle Royale Bomberman game. I hope that that's what is coming. You can hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got... Oh, yeah. New Pokemon Scarlet and Violet trailer was released. As always, the internet is going to tear it to shreds for the graphics. I couldn't care less. I had a blast with... Uh, what is Sword and Shield? Fantastic games. I had a blast with Arceus. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm I'm already ready for a new Pokemon game. I'm looking forward to those. I don't know if I'll pick that one up day one or not. I'm kind of Pokemoned out. I have, still have yet to beat Arceus. Not that it was oh, just yeah. a bad game, it just it gets so repetitive over and over and over and over again. Well, there you have it. <laughs> I wrote that Hideo Kojima uh, has announced that he's working on an Xbox game. Just bringing that up because it was funny to see all of the people on Twitter pissed off about it. Um, people were talking about how Kojima is now uh, betraying all the PlayStation fans after all these years. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Um, Hannah wrote, <laughs> do you want to go over that one? <laughs> yeah, so I just thought this was funny because you know how you always buy like GameCube games or like retro games. I just thought it was newsworthy that you actually bought yourself a new Switch game versus either me or someone <laughs> else buying them for you. But you actually bought three recently. So I mentioned Mario Strikers, and then you might have to help me with the other two. One of them was the Taito game, right? Correct. And I know I said the other one, and I forgot what it was. Dang it, Hannah. <laughs> literally told you yesterday, I know. <laughs> and I forgot what it was. Darn, I I'll can't look keep track of my games and your games. You can get started on your news and I'll look it up. Okay, so Nintendo announced that there was a Direct, but, uh, you know, to the chagrin of many fans of Nintendo Directs, it was just AZ Blade Chronicles 3 Direct uh, that happened on June 22nd, which was yesterday, uh, as of recording this. They showed a bunch of story and combat. Um, I didn't want to watch it too closely, though, because I like to just jump right in and, like, experience it for the first time while I'm playing it. Uh, but yeah. if you... If you are not sold on the game, I would definitely watch it because it really goes in depth uh, and shows you, you know, if you're going to like it or not. Uh, It introduced the main characters of the game. There's six uh, plus a whole bunch of side characters. They all have like their own, you know, stories and story arcs and whatnot. And this is something that I didn't know how to feel about. They like pre-announced a paid DLC. So it's going to be like 30 bucks for like extra story, extra characters, extra stuff like elements to the game. But like they already announced it. So I know Xenoblade Chronicle games are hella big and, and, you know, it's super packed. I would never say that they would cut something out of a game. But I know people are going to say that about it. Like, obviously, they're they're taking this part out of the game, you know, so that you don't get it up front. But then oh, again... so like I was just talking about with Strikers. Yeah, kind of. I mean, all the Xenoblade Chronicle, Well, I can't say all. Two had DLC that came out after the release of the game. So it's something that they wanted to add on to extra, you know, characters and blades and whatnot. Um, but then it also got like its own side game, Torn of the Golden Country, which is like a prequel to 2. Um, 
And so I don't know, is it, did they take a portion of the game out or has the game been done for so long that they've been working on this DLC and they're like, yeah, I guess we'll just release it as paid DLC and get some more money. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously yeah. this game has been done for a long time. They moved the release date up two months, you know? <laughs> so how long have they been working on it is my question. I don't know. I just, there was a lot of controversy about that. And then some more things that people are upset about, me included. Oh, you know what? Hold on. I did want to buy something this past month, but Nintendo totally freaking dropped the ball. <laughs> and that was the freaking Xenoblade Chronicles 3 special like collector's edition. Only sold on their website, by the way, which is the first time that has ever happened. And, oh, God, it was a freaking disaster. It seriously makes me so angry to talk about. But um, I didn't get it, even though I waited online for, like, eight hours. So they announced on Twitter the day before that, hey, pre-orders are going to go up tomorrow. So, like, you know, stay tuned. And then it randomly opened up at, like, 11.34 or something in the morning. And the website crashed immediately. You were, like, given to the... you were. Given the screen that said, you know, you're in a waiting line, blah, 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 blah. It's experiencing a lot of traffic. And um, that was pretty much how the website stayed the entire day. I got as far, I think it was like five or six hours in. I think I texted you. I said I was like five or six hours in. And I just now was able to add the collector's edition to my cart. But then the website crashed and I wasn't able to do anything with it. And so that was pretty much everyone's. I know like three people in the entire world. Well, I guess just North America, who uh, actually were able to get this game. And dude, oh God, I was so angry that entire day. (laughs) I'm still angry about it. But like the whole day, I was just pissed. I was like, I have lost faith in Nintendo. They need to get their website stuff together because it's ridiculous. And other people in in other nations, Australia and all those other ones didn't have a problem. Not a single hitch in their (laughs) whole thing. And we just crashed immediately. That's how I know that Nintendo doesn't listen to this podcast. Because they would have made sure that Hannah Montana here got her freaking copy. They would not have let you down. And then, the best thing is, they just decided to close it out altogether. And they're like, yeah, we're going to open it up again on a later date. It's like, really? I've been here all day and nothing. Oh, God, I was so angry. Anyway, (laughs) the next bit of news is related to the Persona series, which I know very little about. And so it always confuses me when there's like a gajillion different kinds of Persona out. Anyway, I'll try to keep this straight in my head. So Persona Persona 5 Royal, which is the newest one, but not the original version of Persona 5, the one that came out with like extra content and stuff. Anyway, Persona 5 Royal, (laughs) Persona 4 Golden, and Persona 3 Portable are all coming to Steam. Uh, Persona 5 Royal will come to PlayStation 5, while Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 will come to PlayStation 4, which is confusing. Why didn't they just put it on PlayStation 5? But I digress. (laughs) Persona 5 Royal is coming to Xbox and Game Pass on October 21st, with Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden coming sometime in 2023. And uh, nothing for the Switch. Absolutely not a thing. It's but weird. it's coming to Xbox. Yeah, that's really yeah. weird. <laughs> so uh, we're hoping that it's going to be announced at Nintendo's Direct whenever that may be. Hopefully soon, but we'll see. And then my last bit of news here is Square Enix has announced Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion for PlayStation 5. 
uh, Xbox, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, or Xbox Series X, I guess. Uh, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. It is a remaster of the PSP title Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII, and it will launch this winter. You know, I actually have that PSP game. So do I. (laughs) How many times (laughs) I've played it? (laughs) None. Less than one, yeah. (laughs) All this RPG talk reminds me that I need to get on some Ease Origin. Yeah, you do. I told you we'd play together. That'd be so fun. Oh, yeah. That is a great idea. All right, Hannah. I think it's time. (laughs) Time for the main topic. We got a big one today. Um, How many pages of notes you got? I have 18 pages. Yep. All right. So I have 13, which sounds about right. You always have more than me. I'm very wordy. Or I just do more. Um, We'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about today? So we are tackling the main topic, everyone's contested topic of genres. What are they? Why are they good? Why are they bad? We're going into all of the categories which we think are genres, the subgenres of those genres, and maybe even some categories of those subgenres of those genres. So buckle (laughs) up. (laughs) <laughs> yep you will need a seatbelt for this one um i don't really like genres across anything um music i find it very difficult to classify music into genres um video games are no uh different and yeah i guess we can get right into why genres exist so I think that it is, you know, it's obviously important to have genres, uh, even though I just said I don't like them. I understand why they exist. If you like a certain game and you find out what genre it's in, then you can go and find other games that are in that genre. You know, it's a great way to help you explore more games that you apparently like, that you think you might like, right? Um, If I find out that... I really enjoy, nope, we're not even going to go into examples. We have so many examples to talk about for the next two hours that we're good. We're not going into it right now. But um, you, we watched this YouTuber, Foxcade, and he said it best, I think. As soon as you start to ask questions and look closer at genres, they start to tear apart at the seams. Uh, so, in other words, don't ask questions. Just accept it. Just see what Wikipedia <laughs> has and just accept it, right? Yep, or maybe go watch some gameplay now that you can do that in the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. That's all I need for sure. Uh, why Why do you think we have genres, Hannah? What do you want to add to that? Uh, I think you hit it, you know, right spot on. Obviously, it's so that video games are classified. This is specific for video games, I guess. Um, are classified on a basis of similar characteristics that they have, and then they just kind of roll with it. Like, yeah, all of these games in this genre are going to have this, but we found out that's not necessarily the case. (laughs) Uh, And then (laughs) genres kind of fall apart because video games, there's not necessarily just one way to play it. You know, video games can be played a thousand gajillion different ways and, you know, interpreted by people very differently. Uh, So it's very hard to kind of categorize them. And also, 
video games can have so many elements of some other genres, which we'll obviously get into later. It's just, so what do you call it? If it has so many different genres and so many different things kind of like melded together, how do you classify that? Yeah. So we are going to explore that. I think um, that kind of answers the next question, which was going to be why are video games so confusing or video game genres so confusing? Uh, but why would you say that they are more difficult to explain than movies or books? Well, I think also we should definitely mention that books and movies have different genres. Uh, so like if I say I'm going to go watch, you know, a comedy movie, right? When you say that to a game, what does that mean? Yeah, I'm going to go play a comedy game. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so comedy just, uh, it's, you know, you're going to go there for the laughs and stuff. But when you translate that to video games, it doesn't make any sense. Um, now action, you could say gets a little more, you know, action in movies though means like bombs and like people running and like people beating people up. You know, it's just, it's all got like the same elements and there's only one way to watch a movie, right? There's not different, necessarily different experiences. Um so yeah, I think it's more cut and dry with movies than video games because like I said, you know, they can be played differently in a thousand different ways. Um, but yeah, you hit it on the on the head with with music though. I can't, I don't know genres for music either. I mean, I know yeah. like maybe basic genres, like if it's classical, like I know that one. <laughs> but yeah, I, some of the newer stuff, I like I don't know what I listen to. I just, if I like it, I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Um and that same YouTuber, Foxcade, also mentioned that, uh, you know, games have, you know, you can classify a game by its story and also by how you're playing it, like what the gameplay is like. And that's not something that exists in movies or books. So mm -hmm. it's like another dimension, basically. Yep, I agree. Um. That's all I got for that part, but I think that we are ready to dive into literally every genre. Yep. Anything else but you want to mention first? Yeah, we should preface that a lot of these are our own definitions that we have come up with, the games that we're familiar with. Yeah. Um, so if you disagree, that is totally fine. You know, genres, like we said, it's more of a spectrum. If you think something more leans towards RPG than strategy, that's fine. I'm not going to say that you're wrong because we will get into why strategy and art or specifically strategy just sucks <laughs> to kind of define. <laughs> um, but if you are, if you can give us definitions that you think are right, you know, either message us on Instagram or, you know, comment down below if you're watching on YouTube, that'd be great. Or join the discord. But anyways, let's get into the first one. I'm going first with platformers here. My favorite genre by far. Um, the Wikipedia definition of a platformer is the core objective is to move the main character between points in an environment. Now, that's kind of absurd. That can literally describe the more the majority of genres. Um, now, it does say the core objective is to do that, right? So you're moving your character in 90% of the genres we're going to talk about today. But the core objective, the main goal is to get from point A to point B. Um, Wikipedia goes on to say platform games are characterized by levels consisting of uneven terrain, hence the platform, and suspended <laughs> platforms, hence the platform, of varying height that require jumping and climbing to traverse. 
Uh, I think everybody knows what a platformer is, but to put it into words like that is, yeah, I think it's helpful. Um, subcategories. So we get right into your 2D platformers. Been around since God knows when, the 70s. Um, examples that I wrote down, Donkey Kong was from 1981. Everybody knows the classic arcade game. Um, and then Pitfall. Have you ever played Pitfall? Yes, I have. Very famous, very just staple in platforming. Uh, I don't know it, what it is the first for, but Pitfall on Atari 2600, I don't think it was ever an arcade game, but uh, released in 1982, run from left to right. It has multiple screens. You know, you're jumping over gaps. You have to avoid falling into pits and uh, getting eaten alive by alligators. Classic gameplay right there. Uh, I have to write something here. We're kind of jumping from classic to modern here with this one, but auto runners will fall under this umbrella as well. The 2D subgenre here. Um, Temple Run. Everybody knows Temple Run. Super Mario Run. These are both auto runners where, like, you're you're playing a 2D platformer, but you're not actually moving your character. Uh, you pretty much just jump, right? Um, you can do different kinds of jumps. You can wall jump. Um, you can slide in some games. But this is basically something I wanted to mention real quick. It's successful with mobile phones because of their lack of controls required to play. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever really played, like, I don't know, a platformer on a phone. I don't personally play phone games, but the few that I have, it's not fun to have, like, a fake analog stick on a touchscreen. It's not enjoyable in the slightest bit. Um, yeah. Two and a half D. This phrase was actually used as early as 1994 in an interview for PC Gamer Magazine when Warren Spector was describing his FPS game System Shock. Uh, he was he was talking about how this his game was true 3D compared to games like Wolfenstein and Doom, which he was saying were 2.5D. And nowadays, 2.5D just refers to like a 2D platformer with 3D graphics. Uh, the best example I can give is Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Um, when I first started hearing about 2.5D, I thought that it was referring to how in Tropical Freeze, you can jump between like platforms that are near the screen and far away into the screen but i yeah that's not actually what they were referring to um <laughs> but it makes sense right I can no see it definitely how... does i can see that <laughs> um yeah and then we get into 3d everybody loves a good 3d platformer in the 90s games started to go from pseudo 3d to true 3d and pseudo 3D is when a game uses like 3D polygonal renders of CGI characters or objects for its sprites and graphics. Took that from giantbomb.com. <laughs> um, while true 3D actually gave players an additional degree of freedom on both the character and the camera. And I think that's a big one here is when you really start to control the camera, revolve around the character um that you're playing as uh you know you're really into the 3d platformer era there the the best examples and some of the most obvious examples here is super mario 64 and crash bandicoot um yeah 
Nothing crazy to mention there. Collectathons. Um, I would probably... I wanted to put these under the 3D umbrella, but they really are their own subgenre because you can have a collectathon, whether it's two-dimensional, three-dimensional, it doesn't matter. Um, but basically, instead of the goal being to get to the end of a level, the player is tasked with gathering specific items to progress the game. And I always think of Banjo-Kazooie... Um, I first played Banjo-Kazooie a few years ago after I started collecting, and I was like, man, people have talked about how awesome this 3D platform <laughs> is. I'm so excited to play it. And I found out it was a collect-a-thon, and I was like, what the heck is this? Like, I'm not, <laughs> this is not what I wanted it to be. Um, and that's not to say that I hate the game or that it's a bad game or whatever, but just not at all what I was expecting. Um, it's... I don't know. It's like a, a Donkey Kong 64, like obviously same developer, whatever, but it's it's very close to DK64, which is something I grew up playing. Um, and then Spyro, I didn't play that until I got older as well, but Spyro is 100% a collectathon as well. Yep. Spyro, I For do sure. enjoy quite a bit. Um, have, you, isometric. have you played 2D Spyro or only 3D Spyro? I haven't played the GBA one since I was a kid. I don't even remember what they're like. Yeah, I think those are also collectathons. I do have a I do have a question though. While Talk we're here, before we move on, so you said that collectathon was not necessarily getting to the end of a level, but collecting a bunch of stuff. So, right. with that definition in mind, I made you play this game. But is Yoshi's Story a collectathon then? Because it. It's not about reaching the end. It's about getting enough fruit to Dang. get all the fruit around your screen. Is that one a collectathon? <laughs> and then you get to like choose your your path, right? You don't have to exit at a certain yes. point. Yes, uh, true. Man, by that example, it's got to be a collectathon platform, right? <laughs> Definitely I'm platformer. There's no, that. there's yeah, there's nothing contending that, but yeah, right. So interesting. It's not just a platform, right? it's a platform and collectathon. Glad right, you brought you that continue. up. <laughs> There's isometric platformers, which I don't think a lot of people have played an isometric platformer. Um, I would define it as being able to move in three dimensions with only having two dimensional graphics. Um, these can sometimes be classified as pseudo 3D, like we were talking about earlier. Um, Congo Bongo is a Sega 1983 game that is a prime example of this. I also have Rayman 3 Game Boy Advance written down. That's probably the only isometric platformer I've played that I can think of, except for one that just came to me. I would say Qbert is probably an isometric platformer. It is definitely isometric. I would just have to wonder if it is a platformer. Hmm. Arcade well, games... Yeah what yeah go ahead good i feel like arcade games can get weird uh with trying to define genres but uh you, you are jumping on platforms so it's just not the goal you're not trying to to get from a to b in cubert so i don't know that's that's a good one to debate <laughs> um we have more platformer sub genres I wrote down Run and Gun, which people could probably argue is its own genre. I'm going to call it a subgenre of 2D platforming, um, or just platforming in general, actually. 
But basically, run and gun from Wikipedia is minimal focus on precise jumping and a major focus on multi-directional shooting. Best examples, Metal Slug, Contra, everybody's played those games. Uh, one that I think is much less popular, a Neo Geo game called Shock Troopers. I originally played this one on a Neo Geo cabinet a few years ago, fell in love with it. Uh, I've been playing it more recently on my Neo Geo Mini. It's an excellent game. I think people typically think of running left to right for running guns, but games like this can actually allow you to run north to south, east to west, everything in between. Um, so I just kind of wanted to mention that as well. Uh, because Contra and Metal Slug definitely just left to right. That's how they are. Things that do not count as running guns. Mega Man. Um, he's... He's running left to right, and he is shooting constantly, I guess. But the main focus of that game is actually to get to the end and defeat the boss. And I would say that that is taking precedence over just shooting, right? Because Mario is a game where you run left to right, but you also have to kill people along the... Not kill people, good lord. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> What Mario you gotta games jump are you on playing? Goombas. <laughs> you gotta jump on Goombas and Koopas and destroy Bowser at the end, but that doesn't make it like I don't know a beat 'em up, right? Like that's not what Mario is, just because he's taking Goombas' lives in the middle of it. Um, <laughs> I would agree. I think that was a good analogy. I agree. I was on the fence about Mega Man, but yeah, okay, I agree. I also wrote Metroid. Um, the whole Metroid franchise does not count as a run and gun. And that one is solely because you're really not going left to right point A to point B in that game. You are heavily focused on exploration and we will get way more into detail on Meg on Metroid later on. The last subgenre here, puzzle platformer. A puzzle platformer is characterized by its use of a platform game structure to drive a game whose challenge is derived primarily from puzzles. That is the Wikipedia definition. Um, Door Door is an Enix game from 1983, one of the earliest of that subgenre. There's also the popular The Lost Vikings was on Super Nintendo, I think maybe Genesis as well on 1993. Wario Land 2, 3, and 4 are all definitely puzzle platformers. Um, I have played a little bit of that series, Wario Land 2, 3, and 4. Um, it's definitely like, you know, go through. It's almost a an ex. Yeah, there's definitely some exploration going on, but I would say that there is more puzzle solving going on than exploration. So I would put it under this category. And then, no doubt about this one, Mario versus Donkey Kong. All of those games would definitely qualify as a puzzle platformer. You know, you have um, you have your little Mario minis that you have to control, and uh, I don't know how to explain this game, but you're basically trying to get all of your characters to a door to let them exit the level. And in order to do that, you know, you have to, there's a lot of traps. You can fail the level. I'm not doing a good job of explaining this one. Um, <laughs> man, go play, go watch Mario versus Donkey Kong so that I don't have to sit here and struggle. 
But uh, yeah, something like Mario vs. Donkey Kong might be considered a puzzle game by itself and not necessarily a puzzle platformer. But I do think that the puzzle platformer subgenre exists because when you think of a puzzle game, you're thinking, you know, Match 3, Tetris, things like that. Uh, I'm sure that you will clarify that one up for us whenever we get to that one. But uh, that's what my brain goes to for sure. I do think there could be an argument that puzzle platformers could actually be under the puzzle game umbrella. Maybe it just depends on the game. Um puzzles are present in many games across many genres i thought i would mention that and some other notes here i would say platformers well it's not that i would say it it's the truth um platformers (laughs) were the most popular genre for the late 80s and into the mid 90s platforming has definitely had a revival in the last five to ten years um where does metroid fall into all of this I would say platform adventure game, commonly known as Metroidvania. Hate that term. Um, but as the name suggests, it is a fusion of platforming and adventure, and we will talk about adventure later. Uh, heavy emphasis on exploration and especially backtracking. Anytime a game mentions backtracking, you'll hear any YouTuber throw out the term Metroidvania immediately. So. That's what um, platform adventure definitely definitely has backtracking. Uh, and then, you know, you're not just going point A to point B to finish the stage. It's more free roaming. Um, I've already mentioned a bunch of personal stuff with 2D platformers, but a few more here. Uh, I would say they are far and away my favorite genre. I've... I'm definitely inexperienced in puzzle platformers. I have not played the Lost Vikings. I have really hardly played the Wario Land series. And I've obviously played Mario vs. Donkey Kong, though I can't seem to explain it right now. Um, I always love a good run and gun. That is a very fun genre, even though they're really tough a lot of times. And just a handful of favorites here. The basics, you know, everyone's going to say these, but Super Mario World, Super Mario 3D World, Super Castlevania 4, Rayman 2, the entire Donkey Kong Country series is chef's kiss. I freaking love those games. Sonic Mm -hmm. the Hedgehog, Gunstar Heroes, and the Metroid franchise. That's it. You're up. Wow. That was a lot. That was a freaking lot. Heavy ones right out of the gate. So my first one is RPG, <laughs> which has become one of my favorite uh, genres since, you know, playing things like Sandblade Chronicles and stuff. But boy, was it confusing to get into. So I went with a general kind of definition of just what RPG is. That means like physical tabletop games or like video games and stuff. Uh, so this is pulled directly from Wikipedia because it's important to the history Uh, A game in which players assume the roles of characters in a fictional setting, usually a fictional setting. Uh, Players take responsibility for acting out these roles within a narrative, either through literal acting or through a process of structures, uh, structures and decisions making regarding character development. Uh, So this means like things like tabletop RPGs, Dungeons and Dragons, or like LARPing, (laughs) which is live action role playing, uh, and then of course (sighs) video games. So a lot of the uh, RPGs obviously were based on things like Dungeons and Dragons and, and other tabletop RPGs that kind of was like the first 
And then, of course, when we started going into the digital age, people were like, okay, let's just digitize it. And then it just branched out from there. Uh, so a video game specific definition is a video game genre where the game or where the players control the action of a character or several party members, uh, which we'll find out later, uh, immersed in some well-defined world, usually involving some form of character development by way of recording statistics, which is very important. Uh, what distinguishes RPGs from other games is the stats and levels and, you know, trying to improve your character uh, in the higher level you are, the better you are at taking down enemies, uh, higher defenses and other sorts of statistics like that. So, like I said, I'm very familiar with RPGs. Not all of them, but some of them. Uh, so I wrote down the characteristics that I myself have found in many RPGs and also did a lot of research on it and like read it and stuff like that on what people think other characteristics of RPGs are. So one, the ability to improve your character over the course of the game by increasing stats or levels, like I said. Uh, the menu-based combat system with several choices of skills, spells, other active powers, or you know special skills or whatever, uh, as well as an active inventory system with wearable equipment such as armor and weapons uh, that you can change at any given time or improve uh, by like imbuing magic or you know getting a certain level up or something like that and applying it to your armor. Uh, three, a central quest that runs throughout the game as a storyline and additional uh, and usually optional side quests, also important. The ability to interact with elements of the environment or storyline through additional abilities. Uh, things like lockpicking or disarming traps or communication skills or things like luck. Uh, and then five, the existence of certain character classes that define the characteristics, skills, abilities, and spells of characters like wizard, thief, uh, warrior, or like uh, tank is what you refer to somebody who's like big, has a lot of defense, stuff like that. Uh, and then we have the subgenres of RPGs, which there are a lot. So first and foremost, the one I'm most familiar with is action RPG. It emphasizes real-time combat where the player has direct control over the character as opposed to turn-based, where it's like stop, wait, pick what, decide what you want to do, attack, maybe not attack, you know, stuff like that. It's not it's not real-time. You're just pausing to think about what you're going to do next, whereas real-time, you know, you're just hacking and slashing away at an enemy. Uh, we're still having focus on characters' stats in order to determine relative strength and abilities. Uh often use action game combat systems similar to hack and slash or shooter games can also include action adventure games which include a mission system and role-playing games or mechanics or mmorpgs which i love to talk about here in a second <laughs> uh, with real-time combat system so it's kind of like if 3d zelda games were more focused on like leveling up link's equipment and weapons and other things like that instead of just like relying on getting more hearts you know, to carry you through the game or the harder enemies. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so no, if Zelda were to implement some kind of weapons and armor upgrade system, I suppose that would make it an RPG. I guess it depends on how, like, fully, you know, how they flesh that out. But examples of this, just kind of action RPG, are the Mana series, which I know you're familiar with. Uh, the Yi series, the Xenoblade Chronicles series, and Elden Ring, which just came out. So I didn't know that was an RPG, but that's interesting. I believe it. Everything's an <laughs> RPG these days. <laughs> I thought that was more action-adventure, but, you know, I guess it's just action-RPG. But that's cool. I actually have to play that one. So a s the second, it's kind of... it's. I assume this is to be a subgenre, even though we kind of agreed that multiplayer isn't necessarily its own 
subgenre, mm-hmm. but it can be turn-based, it can be action RPG, it can be all those things. It's MMORPG, which stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game. Or I found out <laughs> another, like, you know, cheeky kind of, uh, <laughs> what it stands for is Many Men <laughs> Online Role-Playing, or Playing as Girls or something. And I was like, <laughs> that's true. So true. Many Men Online Role-playing as girls is what it's called. (laughs) Like, oh, dang, called out. That was funny. So this is an RPG-style game um, that can have many people playing simultaneously. Like, I brought up the fact um, that it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people playing together. And you're like, you brought up Fortnite. And you're like, well, hundreds of thousands of people play those at the same time. And then my, you know, argument to that was not at one time. Like, in Fortnite, you're you're 100 people in one map. And there might be, you know thousands of different lobbies of these hundred people but with rpgs or mmorpgs you can actually see those people and interact with them all the time there's thousands at once playing with you um so yeah, yeah those i see include, i see the difference it includes elements of rpgs like leveling systems training or grinding depending on what your terminology is often have weapon classes uh like wizards and orcs elves stuff like that um can have different kinds of mains so that's like melee main or magic, like what you choose to be like your main fighting. Uh, examples of this are RuneScape, which I love that so much. World of Warcraft. Uh, and this one's fun because I used to play this one too. Do you remember Disney's Toontown online? No. You don't remember that? Oh, man, that was so fun. <laughs> it's actually Disney related. Um so yeah, uh, example would be for me would be RuneScape, which I play all the freaking time. And I recently got addicted to it again because I was doing research, you know, for this episode. But uh, anyway, like I said, it's you can see and interact with people in the world. Uh, you start off as a level three. You know, you can customize your character. You can have any armor you want, any clothes, any color, any hairstyle. Uh, and basically you have a set of skills. I think there's... 15 skills for free to play and 23 skills for members which you have to pay like a monthly fee or whatever um and you you can basically you know you every day can be different like one day i want to go train mining so i'll sit there in a mine and i'll just continue to mine 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 over and over all day or i can decide that i want to practice my magic and i'll go equip all my runes and staffs and wizard robes and whatever and decide to go train magic Uh, for hours and hours and hours it's like every day can be different and if you get bored doing something like chopping trees or uh thieving or any of those other things you can do whatever you want whenever you want you can also talk to people like real time so like some of my best this is so sad but some of like my best friendships or whatever have been made like through this game just like talking to random people be like hey what are you doing uh you know where are you from stuff like that so i think that's a really unique experience that mmorpgs offer but my question is, do you think they deserve to have their own category or subgenre or not? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Next, <laughs> we have... <laughs> don't care to elaborate at all? <laughs> I think that... Uh, I, I don't know. Like These games could just be RPGs, but these it's not like there's a single player option. You know, I think that's kind of the key here. Like These are online multiplayer games and that's the only way to play them so i think it's a good subgenre for sure okay cool so the next one is turn-based rpg which is like 
if you see it, you know what it is and you know what I'm talking about. But I guess if you've never seen it, you would know. But it's exactly like the name implies. Uh, often the flow of the game, specifically the combat, uh, is split up into like sections or turns. So like encounter enemy, then you pause. It's like, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to move? Do you want to attack? Do you want to use an item? And then attack. And then after that, there's like another thing where you want to use an item or depending on what the game's, you know, parameters are. And then it's like enemy turn. And then he has those same turns and then it's your turn again. So you're taking turns. It's exactly what it sounds like. Um, They can be called phases or turns or whatever, depending on what the game says. Uh, But usually they're used for like a character to sit there and analyze the situation. Like, oh, what would be my best move to kind of implement some kind of strategy? Um, Like I said, there's an action phase. There's like an attack phase, depending on what the game is. And it has all of the aforementioned elements of an RPG because this is a subcategory of RPGs, but it's that specific turn base is what makes this one different from all the other ones. So example, and these are some fast, differently examples, but Paper Mario, (laughs) Pokemon, and Octopath Traveler. (laughs) They're very different, (laughs) but the main core mechanic of like their combat is turn-based. Yeah. So So you can go out catching them Pokemans, but you know, you have to sit there choose which attack you want to do or use an item or run so it's very paused it's very you know i don't know slow i guess i would i would imagine it's slow very methodical then the next one which i thought was super duper interesting is roguelike and road light rpgs do you know what those are oh i'm so glad you wrote them down because i have heard those terms so much and i just i'm ready to learn right now okay so they are characterized by procedurally generated levels, which I did not know. They're usually dungeon crawlers, turn-based uh, gameplay, sometimes tile-based graphics, permadeath, which I thought was like just the main thing, and typically on, typically set in like an epic, like high fantasy kind of narrative setting. So a little bit of history. I did not realize that roguelikes descended from like a 1980 game called actually called Rogue, uh, which was a Unix base, which is uh, Unix is an operating system. Uh, it was a dungeon crawler. So all of the games that you hear that are roguelike got the name from this game, which I thought was really cool. That is really cool. So just a little bit of history of <laughs> Rogue. It's a dungeon crawling video game, uh, which is... Like, well, well, we'll contest that later. I have that written down in my notes. Where the player <laughs> controls a character as they explore several layers of a dungeon, defeating monsters as they go. Uh, and specifically in this one, the the goal of the game is to find the Amulet of Yender at the bottom of the dungeon. <laughs> this game is also turn-based. So, um, I looked at this game. You think it's going to be some, like, epic, cool, like, adventure, whatever, but it's from 1980. Um... And so picture this, close your eyes, okay? (laughs) So you're looking at a screen, like a tiny, teeny, 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 tiny little computer screen, right? And your screen's completely black, okay? And (laughs) the dungeons or the rooms that you move through are literally like, a room would be just like L, 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 and then like space, 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 like under, 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 underscore, 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 and then L, 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 up the side, and then underscore, underscore, like to make a box, but like out of letters. And then like your treasures, your treasures are like, question marks or like slashes or like h's or f's or something and then your enemies are like i think they were um percentage signs so it's like wow this epic adventure (laughs) but it's just it's (laughs) 
does not look that epic. But that's basically entirely what the screen was, which is just letters and numbers and L's and slashes. Just imagine moving through a dungeon with rooms completely made out of L's and um, underscores. Yeah. That's what it was. Uh, this game also implemented permadeath, which means that when a player dies, the player is dead, completely dead, uh, and they, dead. or the character is dead. And the player must restart the game with a new character, because obviously that one's dead and can't respawn. And, which I did not know, is you cannot bring that character back at all, even if you reload from a previous save state. So it's like, that character is dead, dead. <laughs> you could not bring them back. Uh, this game was also procedurally generated, so no like game or like run-through is the same as the previous one. So monster encounters, the dungeon levels to set up, the treasures found in the dungeon are all different through every playthrough. This makes every move that the player makes super meaningful, because when you're dead, you're dead. Uh, and this game obviously went on to inspire a lot of the other roguelike games, which I thought was super duper cool. So I did not know that. So some rogue-like RPGs have all of these elements of roguelike games. Uh, an example of that would be Dead Cells, which is a very new game. Have you ever played it? No, it's on my list. So this one specifically is not necessarily just roguelike. This is going to make you angry. It's classified as a 2D side-scrolling roguevania or <laughs> roguelike metroidvania game. Pissed. <laughs> so, so it's procedurally generated dungeon to explore. That's kind of what you're doing. Uh, dying does send you back to the beginning and you lose most of your stuff, like the cells and like things that you've collected uh, in that game. But there are permanent upgrades that you can obtain while playing the game through this guy, through the collector. So even if you do die, you still get to keep those. It's just like resetting you back all of like the, I don't know, money that you've collected or the, all, you know, all those little small collectibles that aren't permanent. So dying still does suck, but it doesn't suck as much if you have the permanent ones. But yeah, I thought the roguevania would make you angry. So really, it's just it's the permadeath and the procedurally generated dungeons that what makes this roguelike. But then it's also 2D side-scrolling like Metroidvania games. Right. So yeah, I thought it was super interesting. That's one of those games that... Rogue is one of those games that everyone's like, oh, it's roguelike, it's roguelike. It's one of those really influential games. And uh, literally and no few. one knows what they're talking about when they say that because no one's ever heard of Rogue. Exactly. I thought it just meant like permadeath. Oh, you know, I'm going rogue. You know, I'm just going to go for it. But that is <laughs> not what it means. Come to find out. So the next subgenre on the list is sandbox RPGs. This is what Wikipedia said. Now, I'm I'm down to be convinced that it's not. And I'm, I, like I said, I'm not really sure this is should classify as its own subgenre, but basically it's just an open world RPG, non-linear in structure. The player is free to roam around wherever they want. Um, this one made me angry because Wikipedia also said this, but example is the Zelda series, and I cannot dis, I mean, disagree more. Zelda is not an RPG. Yeah. Some games might have some RPG elements, like Skyward Sword had like the upgrading your. Uh, well, the whole point of the game is to upgrade your sword, but like you can upgrade your net, your bow, your slingshot, all that other stuff with things that you've collected. So it's kind of RPG elements, but most worlds aren't even, I mean, most Zelda games aren't even open world at all. Like Breath of the Wild was the only one that did that thus far. Yeah. So they're just wrong. This is one of those things where Wikipedia is unreliable. 
The second example is the Elder Scrolls series, uh, Fallout series, the Fable series, and it also said Xenoblade Chronicles series, which, yeah, it is open world, but I, I would classify it more as action RPG, but I guess you could say it's sandbox or open world action RPG. It's not linear? Mm-mm. Interesting. I mean, well, it is linear. You have to do like certain things to get to the end. But, like, you can do side quests or do anything in, like, any specific order. Right. So, yes and no. But you also are free to roam around wherever you want. It's not, like, set paths. Yeah. So, do you think that deserves its own subgenre or not? Oh, I really don't think any of these examples have been super good. Um, So, it's kind of tough for me. Yeah, I don't know. Sandbox RPG... Definitely not Zelda. No, that was just awful. I just thought we should mention that. Just to tell people that is absolutely wrong. Actually, the problem is that I have not played um, Fallout. I have not played Elder. What is it? Elder Scrolls. I have not played those huge games that probably f- that you just said fit into this category. So it's kind of tough for me. Gotcha. Um, if that's truly Fable? what they are, that no, I have not played Fable. Oh wow. Go ahead, what were you going to say? I, I was just going to say, if that's truly what they are, then then yeah, they deserve their own thing because those are some very important games. They're still making those games, uh, very relevant video games, so I would say yeah. Right on. Okay, so the next one is, again, not sure if this is the subgenre, but we'll get your opinion on it, is first-person party-based. Uh, what? So in, this, in these games, right, that's, <laughs> that was my... I was like, oh, it's a party game. And it's like, no, 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 not that kind of party. So the player leads a party of adventurers, like three or four, you know, people as their party uh, in first person perspective, typically through a dungeon in a grid based environment. Uh, These games are also called blobbers (laughs) because the players move the entire party around the field as a single unit or blob. That I didn't know. That was news to me. Uh, Oh, is that what, um, is this what Wonderful 101 is? Oh, it could be. That's not one of my examples, but it totally could be. Neither of us have played it, so I don't know why I brought it up. Nope. Uh, these games are usually turn-based, but there are some uh, real-time. Some examples include, and I didn't look these up, and I should have, Bard's Tale, that series. I'm going to butcher this name, but this actually came in on 3DS recently, I think. Etrian Odyssey. Oh, um, yeah. And Eliminage. Elminage. <laughs> Elminage. Which I think is a really popular one. Uh, I don't know. I haven't don't have that much experience with these first person party based ones. But if you're controlling, you know, three or more characters at the same time in a party, I feel like maybe it is. But I don't. I don't have that much experience with it. I certainly have none. All right. So here is the debate. which I'm so nervous I'm going to screw up, but let's see. It's strategy versus tactical. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying, because we'll get into this a little bit later when we get to the strategy category, but they are used almost, you know, like synonymously. They're intertwined. Some people cannot tell the difference between the two, and it's just widely debated in general. I went to many forums like Reddit and whatever, and they're like, no, this is considered tactical because of X, Y, and Z. And they're like, no, 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 this is considered strategy because, you know, A, B, X, Y, 
F, you know, whatever. So it's just, it's just right. whatever you decide. So I broke down, I have three kind of definitions here, all kind of relating to each other, and we'll, we'll break it down for you. So strategy is deciding what to do. Uh, so it's like in terms of an all out war, who do you attack first or do you just defend? Uh, and then tactics would be how to do that plan. So like once you decide on a plan, on a strategy, do you attack with all your soldiers? Do you attack half here, half here, half there? Do you know, do you line, wait for them to come to you? Um, do you spend all of your resources, you know, sending out soldiers and you get better armor? It's like how you break down that plan, how you intend to, you know, kind of carry that out. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So then the second definition is obviously very similar. Strategy is the overall campaign plan to reach the goal, to beat whatever, you know, objective you're trying to do. Uh, and tactics would be the actual means used to gain or complete an objective. And then the third one, which I like, which is my favorite, is strategy is, you know, winning the war, but tactics is winning the battle. So like in an all out war, you know, in real history, there's several battles, you know, throughout the entire war. So it's specifically winning that battle, right, with those people, that, you know, infantry or whatever, those soldiers beating that battle versus beating the entire war, which is, you know, this troop these tanks these you know soldiers are going to do this and go here and these soldiers over here with cannons and you know bow and arrow or whatever is going to go over here to this country does that yeah, i don't know too? about the uh the listeners but that is my preferred definition for super dumbed down for me i love it yeah so we'll see you know where that comes into strategy later but this is specifically just for rpgs um so also while researching, like I said, it was very contended. The the difference between the two, many people think that tactical RPGs are actually a subgenre of strategy RPGs, which I could see because they're basically the same thing. It's just the scale of which you're playing. You know, are you doing the per soldier basis or are you doing like the whole company, like the whole army oh, kind yeah. of thing? So I could see that. But then I guess you'd have to ask which one came first, you know? Right. I feel like yeah. that would help. And like I said, many people use them. Many websites, even reviews and stuff, use them interchangeably. Uh, and then here's another, just if you didn't get those other definitions, here's one that I pulled straight from Wikipedia, right? Most strategy video games involve a mix of both strategy and tactics. So there you go. <laughs> that clears it up. <laughs> Tactics usually refer to how troops are utilized in a given battle, whereas strategy describes the mix of troops, the location of the battle, and the commander's larger goals. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that is the definition we were going with. So strategy and tactical RPGs have, you know, all of the traits of RPGs, but it just depends on which soldiers you are commanding uh, and where. So then the next one is a really big one that I thought was good to mention. I don't know if these to be two separate subgenres or not, but I have a category here described as the difference between Western RPGs and Japanese RPGs because they are oh completely boy. very much different. <laughs> and that's a very large section. So I guess we'll decide. Oh, I, I need to learn this own. one for sure. Yeah, buckle up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> So I have broken it down into the different elements. So we're going to start first with storytelling. So Western RPGs usually give 
uh, the player a single fully customizable avatar, like your character, you can make whatever you want to do with them, uh, which serves as the main character of the game. So like, you know how you see those memes of where your character is in like, it's got a feather hat or like a scarf or whatever. And like this really serious setting and all the other characters are like, you know, soldiers and whatnot. And you're like, oh, obviously this person's the main character of the game. Have you seen those? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, JRPGs often has the player playing as a predetermined character with predetermined traits and personalities. That's kind of how they get like their cutscenes in and like develop their characters. Oh, that makes Uh, sense. Mini story elements in Western RPGs are determined by the actions of the player. So the player can choose to be good or evil or anything in between. You know, you can go (laughs) steal those eggs from that mother or you can, you know, burn that farm down if you want. Where in JRPGs, that's just not the case. JRPGs usually have a much more clear-cut and defined ending with a focus on cinematic experience. You with me so far? I'm with you. All right. So the next category is world-building and art style. So both emphasize lore and typically take place in a fantasy or sci-fi setting of some sort. Uh, But the way they present themselves to the player is different. So Western RPGs tend to have more realistic character designs, leaning more towards like a lord of the rings-esque looking style like it's more serious more grounded more realistic like the people actually look like people um they include species such as elves giants dragons dwarves but they all look as realistic as they can be because dragons aren't real but you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah (laughs) um whereas jrpgs have a more anime like style more cartoony you know more animated less rooted in reality kind of style so the next category I have here is they're just basically different in every single way, but is gameplay. Um, both RPGs, both of these RPGs take uh, an enormous amount of time to complete, uh, but the hours spent on the games are spent in very different ways. So side quests and RPGs have a very lengthy story component behind them and completing these quests will earn the player rewards and build towards an overall goal of like enriching the story, expanding the lore. Um, whereas JRPGs, they can literally be no story behind it at all. It's like, go fetch me that thing from this person, you know, this other nation, and I'll give you, you know, points or experience or whatever. Um, and there's also a lot of grinding in JRPGs. That's kind of like their whole thing. That's like the whole thing of the game. Because basically, well, you know what? I have this later. But yeah, JRPGs is very grindy, whereas uh, Western RPGs are more like story-enriching side quests. Uh, so the next category we have here is combat. So depending on the subgenre of JRPG, uh, the combat could range from strategy or tactical combat to real-time or turn-based. It just depends uh, on the game and what genres are associated with it. And Western RPGs often feature a command-based input system, a form of action-based system like first-person shooting or like third-person shooting. Uh, Western RPGs have much more free movement than most RPGs meaning that you can go anywhere, do anything, especially in battle. You know, if you want to dodge out of the way, you can do that in Western RPGs, but you can't do that in turn-based. There's there's no dodging. It's all preset. Uh, And then this is interesting, which I did not know, but the next category is platforms versus console. So Western RPGs are almost always created with PCs, first and foremost, in the developer's mind. Uh, This is where they will often have the best performance and the best visuals and frame rates and all that jazz but they are also ported to home consoles like playstation xbox and whatnot but um pc gaming is more popular in the west so that is why we have these bigger like western rpgs 
and how why they don't sell as well over uh you know in japan and whatnot and jrpgs are designed around consoles specifically portable consoles or mobile like touchscreen devices um because most japanese people want to play their games on the go and this is also why japanese games are more grindy because it's designed for you to like play for 10 minutes and then quit you know no japanese developer is gonna like expect you to sit there for six hours and grind over and over and over doing the same things so that's why it's so like ridiculous amounts it's like oh yeah i'm gonna ride the bus for 20 minutes so i'm gonna play this game grind for 20 minutes and then stop so it's not like super repetitive which i thought was really cool so i like that you're breaking this down and that it's not just about like the okay what grinds my gears is when people <laughs> say that a jrpg is made by a japanese developer and western rpgs are not because that is clearly not the case based off of what you just said yeah, I mean, it probably was at some point. Sure. Um, but definitely not anymore. I mean, just because it's JRPG does not mean it has to be made by Japanese people or in Japan or whatever, ported from, you know, Japan to here. It does not mean any of that. Maybe back in the day, but this is 2022, man. Get with the times. Yeah, get with the times. Okay, so this, like <laughs> I said, this is going to come back. Um, should Dungeon Crawler be its own genre? So to me, Dungeon Crawler is literally just, you know, going through a single dungeon or multiple dungeons. But that's like literally every game ever. You always go in dungeons, whether it's like called a dungeon or like a castle or like, you know what I'm saying? Well, like I'll tell you prison. what, the uh, the one, maybe one Dungeon Crawler I've played is a mana game called Children of Mana. And it was straight up like it was almost a beat em up because all you would do is go to the dungeon, kill everybody and leave. And the story <laughs> in between was very minimal. Um, doing a exploring. There was zero exploring to be done. That's a big key thing. Uh, and so I can't obviously speak for the whole genre having just played one game. But has that been your experience with dungeon crawlers? See, the only, no, I have, I don't think I've ever specifically played a dungeon crawler. Okay. But obviously a lot of JRPGs happen in dungeons. So I think what you're saying is what makes a dungeon crawler a dungeon crawler is that you're literally only in that dungeon, right? And the whole sole purpose of the game is to get to the bottom of said dungeon. Yeah, and just no exploring to be done. No exploring. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, I think it should be its own sub- subcategory then or subgenre if that's the case with our limited experience yes i agree um and then something else worth mentioning i don't know if you want to talk about this in depth but the combat and how they differ in each so specifically for me when i was getting into rpgs i had no idea what turn base was strategy tactical any of that i had no idea so i just thought when i liked games like xenoblade chronicles uh, two when I played it, I was going to like every JRPG ever made. And that is absolutely not the case. So I like Xenoblade Chronicles because it's action RPG, the action element, meaning like you, the combat is more open. You know, you can move around. You're not stuck in like a turn-based kind of uh, combat style. But when I picked up some of the other ones, uh, like the Tales games, I think, uh, and I can't remember the other one that I played, but I was like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> I'm so confused as to why 
I like this JRPG, but I don't like this one, you know? So yeah. specifically when looking at RPGs, if you like action and if you like a real-time combat, you're most likely not going to enjoy turn-based. They are two very, very different things. Even though the whole game can be related with the RPG or RPG um, elements, they're completely different gameplay-wise. For sure. Huh, that's all I got for that one. It's your turn. <laughs> well, do we have examples? I guess you would have mentioned them if you did, but examples of Western RPGs and examples of JRPGs. Oh, uh, yeah. So The Witcher is a JRPG, not a JRPG, is a Western RPG. Um, I believe Red Dead Redemption is also a Western RPG, but I could be wrong. Oh, wow. Don't quote me on that one because I didn't write it down. Um, but like I said earlier, a lot of the Tales game is a very good JRPG. They're more turn-based. Um, there's also Octopath Traveler, which is JRPG. There's... Um, the Yee series, the Xenoblade Chronicles series. I don't know if Final Fantasy would be considered a JRPG. Probably, because they have that real f- fantastical kind of setting. And it's more anime style. But yeah, those would be examples. But they could also be tactics or strategy. You know, JRPG is just kind of like another layer to RPGs. Yeah, that, that was have. another thing I was thinking. So I don't know if they're their own subgenre or not. So just a quick Google search, like the top, before I even click on a link, the the top things that pop up for Western RPGs, Fallout 2, Fallout New Vegas, uh, Wasteland 2, I know neither of us has played that series, but Borderlands <laughs> is also on here, which, oh my gosh, definitely in an FPS before... It, I don't know. Gosh, so many things can overlap. <laughs> it gets <laughs> awful. Um, so, yeah. Um, probably should have written some down, but that is all right. Um, okay. We have another big one here. <clears throat> um, yeah. We might might should have done this one at a later point in the episode, but we're doing it. Let's do it. We're going into adventure genre here. <clears throat> okay. The reason this is a big one is because anything that the internet or maybe you have called action in the past is going to be lumped into this category because Hannah and I kind of agreed that action is in almost every video game so having one genre called action wouldn't really make sense um yeah i mean so many anything we mentioned today could probably (laughs) qualify (laughs) as an action game even guitar hero i mean there's there's action going on in that game and i've never been a fan of calling games action games uh and we've definitely put in some serious thought and consideration into this and i think that. I think it's adventure is the genre and that's what we're going with. Okay. Um, Wikipedia says adventure games are when the player assumes the role of a protagonist in an interactive story driven by exploration and or puzzle solving. That is, (laughs) those are the two key words there for sure. Um, You can see the overlap of this with RPGs immediately but I assure you they are not the same. Um, Early example, Adventure 
on Atari, uh, developed by Atari Incorporated, published in 1980. The protagonist is a square, and he's off to go find a magical chalice to bring back to the Golden Castle. Um, when I say he's a square, that's not me insulting him. He's just literally like a few pixels <laughs> that make up a square. I was about to say. <laughs> he's a square. Um, you pretty much explore an open world, quote unquote, picking up items and killing enemies along the way. It's about as much as an open world could be in the 2600. This was conceived. Oh, I thought this was super interesting. This game was actually like a graphical version of a text adventure game called Colossal Cave Adventure from three years prior, 1977. So, um, they took a text adventure game, which we'll talk about in a minute, and they they made it like with graphics. You know what I mean? Because text adventure games are just text on a screen. But yeah, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. No, that um, was interesting. It's the first console game to take place across multiple screens, I believe. Either that or Wikipedia is wrong. Don't at me. And the game had like 30 <laughs> different rooms. Uh, you have played this one, and I have not. Uh, one of your favorites, you said? Oh, totally. All right. Um, the Legend of Zelda franchise, easily the most rudimentary like adventure game for sure. Uh, the games focus on exploration and puzzles. You locate the dungeon, you figure out how to get into the dungeon and through the dungeon, and then you defeat the boss. Uh, definitely not the first adventure game by any means, but definitely the one most people can relate with. And I also threw in Tomb Raider, though I haven't played the originals. They are definitely adventure games uh, with puzzles and exploration. Developed by Core Design, published in 1996. Um, subgenres of adventure. Not a lot. Um... But one that I did forget to take notes on is stealth. So I did pull up the Wikipedia page real quick. And I 100% think stealth falls under the adventure category. So yeah, real quick, a stealth game is a type of video game in which the player primarily uses stealth to avoid or overcome opponents. And games in the genre typically allow the player to remain undetected by hiding, sneaking, or using disguises. The most obvious examples, even if you haven't played them, Metal Gear Solid, all of those games, maybe not all of them, but those games are definitely stealthy. Uh, an early game, 1981's Castle Wolfenstein, fits into that category as well. Uh, and then we have Survival Horror. So, people probably would argue that Survival Horror could be its own genre, Um I don't think so. I think that something I have tried to do in my several, my 10, 12 pages of notes here, 13, whatever I said, um, <laughs> is, is I'm trying to keep story separate from the genres here. So like, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, the story has its own genre and saying that a game is, a horror game you know there can be platformers that are horror there can be rpgs that are horror i can't think of any right now but um i think survival <laughs> horror <exist>. <laughs> survival horror specifically is like um i i wrote them down bullet points here um atmospheric elements are used to scare the player 
And, you know, that one's kind of debatable as, like, if that's gameplay or if that's story. But the rest of these are not debatable. The survival part is a key gameplay element where you either have no weapon, you have extremely limited ammo, or you have breakable weapons. And the tip, typically, the player has to rely on stealth to get through the game. Um, that makes you wonder, is this a subgenre underneath stealth? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Fatal Frame, all killer examples for sure. Uh, what do you think about that being a subgenre? <laughs> um, I don't, it depends on what other, I don't know, elements that it has. That's kind of why we decided that action wasn't its own because it could be in so many other of these categories. I don't know. If you can give me a specific example. I can maybe argue my way out of it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I know you haven't played any. I know you don't like being scared, so that's no, kind of a I tough one. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Text adventure, also called interactive fiction. Um, Wikipedia says it's using text commands to control characters and influence the environment. These are definitely a dying or dead genre. I mean... It was really a thing because of how limited the um, the hardware was. So, like I was talking about with Adventure earlier, the game Adventure, not the genre, um, it, it's just text on a screen. Um, and that's not completely always the case, right? Because you can control characters, influence the environment. So there were games later on where, like the Oregon Trail... The prime example, everybody knows this game. It was actually developed to teach school kids about 19th century pioneer life. Uh, you might argue that's in. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's. Um, you might argue that's an educational text adventure. I think yes, but oh, we haven't no. gotten to. We haven't oh, gotten no. to education yet. <laughs> well, could um, it be simulation too? Oh Lord, simulating this century. <laughs> um, where was I going with that? Um, yeah, you literally, these games took a serious amount of programming, um, having to take into consideration, like a large amount of inputs that a player could possibly put in. Like you literally type in the game responses to prompts that it gives you. Uh, I can see why that would be a programming nightmare. Um, yeah. So hold on my very limited experience with doing programming and stuff like that. Yes, I can say that you have to have so many exceptions. Is it capital? Is it not capital? Is there a period? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. That's and a, a really typo, long that's on if you. statement. That's a really long <laughs> if statement, baby. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then Zork, the Great Underground Empire, developed by Infocom, published in 1980. I have definitely never heard of this one. Uh, when it comes to text games text adventure games like the Oregon Trail is like the one and done for me you know and I've never even played that one but everybody what? knows that game <laughs> yeah I need to play that for sure I'm sure it's free everywhere online <laughs> yeah it is um, visual novels I've never really heard of these but um well I guess I didn't know that this is what these games were so they're extremely popular in Japan Apparently, visual novels make up 70% of PC games in Japan. thought that was pretty interesting. Yep, um, I believe it. 
These are basically games that have you reading the story and making choices along the way. The player interaction comes from making your choices in the game and your choices will affect what happens next. Examples I have that I've actually heard of here, <laughs> Professor Layton, I know that is, pretty sure that's published by Nintendo on the DS, and then there's the Ace Attorney franchise, uh, which is a Capcom published game. Yep. The To help explain what a visual novice, novel is, I, I brought the, um, the Wikipedia's, like, what it says about Ace Attorney's gameplay. Um, in the courtroom trials, the player aims to get their client declared not guilty. To do so, they cross-examine witnesses and aim to find lies and inconsistencies in the testimonies. They are able to go back and forth between the different statements in the testimony and can press the witness for more details on a statement. So that is the kind of stuff that you're doing in a visual novel. It's like the chillest possible genre, honestly. Maybe maybe <laughs> even more chill than like Animal Crossing, right? <laughs> Are there horror visual novel games? Oh Text my gosh. Games? Oh, there's gotta be. <laughs> I actually I've pretty much I'm pretty sure I've heard of horror text adventure games. Like how how could you make that scary? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But there are horror books, so that's how. That's true. Wow. <laughs> smart. <laughs> Point and click is another one. I'm very inexperienced in this genre for sure. Uh, basically, the entire game is controlled by moving your cursor on the screen and clicking to either pick up an item, use an item, move the character, or talk to another character. Um, it's in the name. Everybody knows point and click, even if they've never played it. Wikipedia says escape the room, escape the room games fall under their own subgenre, but I would fully say that these fall under the point and click subgenre, um, because I've never played an escape the room game that wasn't point and click. But yeah, I <laughs> right? don't think yeah, like those are like classic flash games that you would play on on like all those websites as a kid. I've played um, so so many. Yeah, we've probably played the same ones. That's funny. Um, but the big examples are The Secret of Monkey Island. I hardly know much about this game. I know it's a LucasArts game for PC that is infamous now. And Telltale Games, I know that they are currently down. They might be coming back, making a return soon. But the the Walking Dead franchise and the Batman, the Telltale series are examples of point and click and they have really brought back the genre i think those games are very popular are those point and click well obviously you don't have a mouse so you can't really click those but they're, they're more like button inputs right so like you I click think, the triangle um, button to do this or a square button to do that yeah i think it's a little bit of both i think there is also point and click gotcha um yeah interactive movie yet another subgenre of adventure games oh <laughs> <laughs> this one i don't think exists a whole lot these days um a game that has either fully pre-rendered graphics or full motion video from live actors on a set typically these games have very little player interface because the entire game is literally pre-recorded um did we play Dragon's Lair when you came to Texas? No. At the arcade? Oh, no. yeah, we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was okay. two. I think it was the second one. 
Right, I think you're right. Anyways, best example I can give is Dragon's Lair. Um, infamously tough arcade game that you literally just move a joystick to play. It's basically just a game based on quick time events. Um, and yeah, typically, like I said in the definition, these games have very little player interface because it is pre-recorded. So you either do the right thing or you do the wrong thing and it'll play the pre-recorded um I don't know, cutscene for the respective that being, movement. That being said, though, they are very difficult. I mean, we did not get very far. Dragon's Lair <laughs> is very difficult, yeah. Um, sucked a lot of quarters out of kids' pockets back in the day, I'm sure. Yeah, it did. Night Trap is the definition of infamous for sure. Probably the most infamous game for the genre. Um, you get a map and a bunch of camera like cameras to flip between and you're in this house um and your task is to activate traps to save a bunch of girls having a sleepover from being killed by a bunch of vampires (laughs) (laughs) as famous as this game is i don't have a sega cd to play it i don't have the switch re-release um yeah i've never played the game but that's my synopsis of it after a quick look at wikipedia (laughs) Sounds about right. Um, my personal experience with adventure games. Um, tons of Zelda games over the years. Most recently, I started Link's Awakening, and I just finished the original Zelda. Big, uh, big feat there. <laughs> Huge fan of the modern Tomb Raider trilogy. Um, those games rock. I recently played 12 Minutes, which I would say is my first true point and click game that wasn't like a flash game from the 2000s. <laughs> uh, highly recommend 12 Minutes. Most recently, the the uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. I mentioned that earlier, but that game was heavy on the story. Absolutely felt like it was 50-50 on story and gameplay. Um. And then my only survival horror experiences are like Outlast 1 and 2 and Alien Isolation. Um, But yeah, that's what I got. Anything you want to mention for adventure? Um, So you mentioned the Atari game adventure. Do you think the whole category or genre is based off of that game's name? Like adventure like? (laughs) Or do you think adventure just happens to be like, (laughs) yeah, we're going on an adventure. So let's call it adventure. I think it's a happy coincidence. I think uh, I think they got lucky with that name, and nobody's nobody. No, you're stretching it, Hannah. <laughs> uh, I do. I do like that game, though. I yeah. actually forgot about what it was until you said it, and then I had to like remember what it was. But yeah, that game is very fun. But I mean, is it a dungeon crawler? Because that's kind of all you're doing. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I did want to say why I didn't consider action like its own genre rather it's a subgenre of all these other genres is because even if you're looking at it like a tree like you're looking at it um like organizationally if you have action in every single i mean not every single i suppose but every most of the other subgenres so like action rpg action adventure you know action racing action shooters like why would you make that just is so much more confusing if you have action be its own you know category because you have under action you have rpg adventure racing but then under 
racing, you also have action. And it's like, wait, well, that's really confusing. What is it, a subgenre or is it a genre? Yeah, I'm glad so you brought I say, that up. A lot of people would say that's like a hybrid. Like that was that was the term thrown out a lot. Is is action is one of those hybrid terms that can like fit with other games to make it a hybrid. So Absolutely. Yeah, just, thought, just thought that was worth mentioning. So the next one that I have is racing. Um, so I didn't realize there were so many different definitions of racing. You even told me one that we'll talk about in a second. But I was like, huh, okay, that makes sense. I did kind of internally debate whether that was racing or not, but we'll you know, get even to it. after I texted you, I was internally debating it. So I'm curious to see what you came up with. Okay, well, let's go. So, definition of just blanket racing game is a video game genre in which the player participates in a racing competition. So you know, you're like, oh, okay, you'll see. You know, you notice a racing game when you see it. It's like one of those turn. It's like turn based. So subgenre. The first one is arcade style racing. You can debate me on whether this is actually a subgenre or not. Um, so this puts fun and fast-paced experience above all else. They encourage the player to take high risks by power sliding or drifting or whatever that game's mechanic is through courses or like I do when I play arcade-style games. It's like double smash the gas pedal and then mix the cargo vroom vroom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cruising game. So <laughs> they're not super realistic. Obviously, the cars look real, but like the mechanics, obviously, if I step on the gas, my car's not going to lift up and do a wheelie, you know, down the course. <laughs> um, examples of this would be OutRun, which we played at the arcade, didn't we? Probably. I love that game. Then we have Cruisin', which is just a freaking classic. I love those games. You can also race as a dinosaur, so, you know, that tells you it's not very <laughs> realistic. Um, Daytona USA, Sega Rally, Burnout, and Need for Speed, all classic examples. Pretty self-explanatory, right? That makes sense. Do you think that deserves its own subgenre? What did you call it? Arcade? It's called arcade style racing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the next one is, now you can debate me on whether this one belongs under racing or not, but simulation racing. <laughs> so <laughs> designed to simulate an actual racing experience and handling on an automobile. Often they use like real licensed cars, like, you know, your Mustang, your Camaro, your whatever, or real racing leagues. Um, the vehicular behavior physics, got that word right, are like a really key factor. You know, players have to um, exercise proper like cornering techniques and precision racing and uh, position, precision um, like maneuvers and stuff in order to race successfully. Examples are uh, Forza Horizon, Project Cars, Gran Turismo, and Forza Motorsport, which I know you've played Forza, right? Yeah, there's the Forza Horizon series and Forza Motorsport. Uh, I've only played Horizon. I have not played the simulation game. But those are much more reliant on like actual driving skill. Well, as actual as they can be, you know, on a controller versus mm -hmm. behind the actual wheel of a car. Please don't think that if you can play these games, you can drive a car. <laughs> That's just dangerous. The next one, everyone's favorite, my favorite, probably your favorite, is kart racing, which absolutely deserves its own subgenre. Simplified driving mechanics, you know, you're avoiding obstacles like bananas or shells or whatever other else uh, kind of obstacles going your way. Usual, like unusual, usually have unusual track designs. So like in Mario Kart, you can like turn it upside down and like float and fly and whatnot. Um, usually the players use some kind of like power up, which will help you, you know, give you an advantage over the other players or hurt other players. Examples, Mario Kart, obviously 
Crash Team Racing, Nintendo, or I mean Nickelodeon Kart Racers, and Team Sonic Racing. I've only played one of those. And only one of them matters. <laughs> That's right, because anything is not Mario Kart is definitely not going to be as good. Strike, yep, they're okay. all ripoffs. Yeah, they are. Write that down on the record. <laughs> so the next one is one that I did not even realize was a thing, but kind of makes sense. So it's futuristic gaming, or racing. So racing games where a player uses science fiction vehicles such as um, such as sci-fi cars and race against the clock or other vehicles. Some games also feature vehicular combat. So example, can you guess it? It's by Nintendo. F-Zero. Bang, that's it. F-Zero, you got Star Rider, Cosmo Circuit, Splendor Blast, and Wipeout. Wipeout for sure. I didn't, that one never crossed my mind. Had I not looked at Wikipedia, I never would have been like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, the genre so or that game? No, um, that subgenre. Yeah, I probably, I don't even know if I agree with it to tell you the truth. I mean, but it doesn't. Good. I don't. I could see it going either way. I mean, it's just racing. Like you're almost focusing on the the story side of things, but you're kind of not because this genre specifically has. Sorry, this subgenre specifically has cars that go 500 miles an hour and, uh, like, I don't know. Like I've only played F Zero, so I can't really talk about the genre, but, um. I could see it going either way. Yeah, that was that was my understanding. Because when I looked at gameplay of all these other ones, it's really just cars going really, really fast. Right. <laughs> this is the fast car racing subgenre. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one is one that you said that I should include, brought to me, is vehicular vehicular combat racing. Which, again, didn't know that was the thing. Um, so the definition here is the primary objective of the gameplay is to destroy other vehicles with weapons or other kinds of power-ups. It normally features a variety of different vehicles, each with their own attributes, special abilities, weapons, or anything like that. They focus on fast-paced action, so racing really fast, crashes, explosion. Maybe this is action racing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not sure if this should be in sports or racing, but we'll see. Um, Does this actually count as racing if the cars aren't necessarily going from like point A to point B? They're not starting at a starting line and fin- like crossing a finish line as the end point. It's more like no set path. It's more like a map where you can just do whatever and try to kill the other cars. Yeah. Yeah, so it's almost... Some... That's that's kind of why I'm second guessing it myself because you're not... I, I haven't played Twisted Metal, for example, um, but... I don't know if you're actually racing in that game or if you are just, you happen to be in a car killing things and people. So I don't know. I have played Twisted Metal. It was my okay. cousin's game and it scared the crap out of me because it's got like that big clown head on the car. Right. Um, I would say that it's not racing. It's more like trying to destroy other cars. I played it on my cousin's PSP like forever ago. Um, and I don't remember ever, I also watch gameplay too, by the way, but I don't ever remember racing from like a starting point to a finishing line. But then that brings up the debate, then what would it be under? Right. Sports, which is what I was like, it's the only really thing it could be. Beat em unless up? Unless it's just action. <laughs> oh, could be beat em up. That's, That's a tough one. one. 
That is a tough one. But uh, classic examples, you already mentioned it, Twisted Metal, but other ones include Cell Damage. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Full Auto. Never heard of that one. So Cell Damage has different modes, like most games do. Uh, looks like there is a specific racing one where you do complete laps, but then there's also just all at destruction modes. Um, so that also brings into debate the thing with modes. If it has different modes, would you classify it as? And then full auto is a mix between racing and combat. So you are actually racing, but you're also like shooting at the other cars at the same time. Uh, And that's in career mode. So they're very similar, but different. (laughs) Let us know in the comments because we are unsure. Okay, so the last category I have here is I'm not sure where to categorize these or if they need their own subgenres. So the first one is tabletop racers which is very different from like a 3D racer. It's more like top-down looking at it as if you're looking at a board game oh. and racing around. So I don't know if that needs its own thing. Or games that don't focus on cars. So it's like jet skis, ATVs, toy cars, semi-trucks, or like animal racers on like horses and stuff. I don't know where those go. Or does it matter? Oh, that's so funny. You always think of cars for racing, but, you know, horseback racing, that's a freaking thing. Um, snowmobiles jet skis yeah hydro thunder is a big one uh oh definitely i mean there's nothing that says racing has to be about cars so i would definitely say that it doesn't need they don't need their own subgenres. but tabletop might need a subgenre because that's a completely different perspective uh Mm -hmm. so i'm with you on that one but as far as the other ones we could just say like cars as one subgenre and then have all the other things about cars and then have you could you know non-cars <laughs> yeah <laughs> others <laughs> put it in other category but i not, was not sure where to classify those because i mean even if it's on a jet ski it's the same it's the same racing start to finish especially with wave race yeah you, know, you go left right left right but it's still racing it's in the base mechanics so yeah i agree tabletop and I agree with the other ones that they can just fit into other things, but everyone just assumes cars when racing. Right. So yeah, that's all I got for racing. Well, I think you did a great job on racing. Now let's get into some combat. We're going to talk about fighting games now. Um, there is fighting going on in the majority of genres discussed. So what exactly sets fighting games apart Combat is obviously the main focus, and fighting takes place in a small arena where the last person standing is the winner. That is my own definition. Um, I like that. And I've pretty much broken it down into two, um, which is probably the least subgenres for all of these, but I think you have two styles. You have one-on-one, which is typically one-on-one like even these are not exactly one-on-one but (laughs) i'm calling it the one-on-one style anyway uh it's it's your typical street fighter you know you have a health bar you win by reducing the opponent's health to zero you're confined you're confined to a small map no items to pick up oftentimes your character is locked onto the opponent like their eyes you're always facing your opponent even if they jump to the other side of you um much of the challenge comes from learning and performing tricky button combinations. And yeah, that is what makes up this style. Um, 
1976, Sega had a heavyweight champ arcade cabinet. It was a two-player arcade game with boxing gloves for controllers. And it was a side view, just like you see in Street Fighter, except like it was practically one-dimensional, like this game was flat. <laughs> um, you stick your hand in the glove controller, I guess you could say. It's like, it's pretty cool, actually. Um, you move the glove up and down to choose your punching height, and you push the glove in to strike. So, pretty advanced for 1976. I feel like it's pretty cool. Um and it was super successful in Japan, according to Wikipedia. And then, of course, you have Street Fighter II, Capcom's franchise that started in 1991, and Tekken, I wrote down because that one is more of like a, a 3D uh, environment. So it's still one-on-one, -on -one, but you are in an arena that is kind of like, you're not just going left and right. You know, you can go into the screen, out of the screen, left to right. It's it's way different than playing Street Fighter. Um, but still similar enough to be under the same umbrella, I think. So that's one subgenre. The other one is your arena fighter. And this one is quite possible with more than two players. You have items in this for in this subgenre. Whether it's for weapons, projectiles, health, there's items galore. Um, I, I guess I'll say typically for that because, I don't know, there's probably some arena fighter out there that doesn't have items. You're not locked on to the <laughs> opponent player. You can kind of like move about freely. Um, examples are obviously Super Smash Brothers. There's no debating if this is a fighting <laughs> game. It um, is the example. <laughs> yeah and the it really is the example i can't think of any like a whole lot of others except for like the clones that have been coming out lately uh and also power stone is a dreamcast game i've always wanted to play that is definitely fits this category it's definitely 3d as opposed to 2d like smash bros but um yeah power stone one and two on the dreamcast um, personal Street Fighter 2 was one of my first video games ever. I love that game just like everybody else. And while I do have fun with one-on-one -on -one style fighters, I have zero interest in learning a bunch of button combinations and becoming <laughs> an actually good player at these games. Um, Very casual. Exactly. I can enjoy these games casually. I can um I can do a Hadouken and that's that's about it on street fighter 2 i know that combination <laughs> um the only other fighters of the one-on-one -on -one genre that i've spent a lot of time with are marvel versus capcom and injustice gods among us and i think both of those have you choosing multiple characters maybe not injustice but definitely marvel versus capcom is like known for being a three versus three and you you can switch between characters, which is kind of a cool gimmick that the uh, franchise is known for. And obviously, just like everyone else, I've played thousands of hours of Super Smash Brothers ever since <laughs> Melee came out. Melee came out on GameCube. Melee. <laughs> uh, that's it. Keeping it short for the fighting genre. That's it. That's wow. it. Only two subgenres. That might be our shortest one yet, actually. Yeah. Okay, so my next one is puzzle, everyone's favorite genre. Because puzzles are literally in almost every single game everywhere, right? True. <laughs> so broad. 
So the basic definition of puzzle games are video games that the main mechanic is solving puzzles. <laughs> These types of puzzles can test problem solving skills like logic, pattern recognition, sequence solving, um, spatial recognition, and word completion. So literally anything. <laughs> um, so these subgenres are, the first one is physics games. So a type of logical puzzle game uh, where the player uses the game's physics and environment to complete each puzzle. Puzzle. Uh, these kinds of games are use consistent physics to make the games more challenging versus just like, you know, throwing anything anywhere and then it working. Uh, examples are World of Goo, Cut the Rope, which I know literally everyone's familiar with, or Angry Birds. Everyone knows Angry Birds. Angry and, oh, Birds and Crush is the a Castle puzzle game. That's what they said. What and is Crush the Castle. That's what I say too. I mean, you are. I mean, the the point of the game is to knock down the other things, the other person's. Uh, I guess it's a castle or construction of some sort. But you have to use like the. You have to get a good angle. You have to pull it back as much. You know, the further you pull it back, the further it goes, which is a puzzle game. I think it is a strategy RPG roguelike. You know, it totally could be. Do the birds die? Do they die forever? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Crush the Castle is very similar to Angry Birds, and I've played a many of Crush the Castles <laughs> over my lifetime. What it's is like that, the, of the off-brand? Best... No, Crush the Castle, I think, came first before Angry Birds. It's like, what? I played, yeah, dude, I played it on the computer, and it's like you get a map, and you go to like different levels on said map, and uh, again, you try to destroy the... Um, whatever the enemy tower construction castle or whatnot uh, with bombs or like flaming bombs or like arrows or like, and there's people inside of the little thing and you have to try to kill them and crash the castle at the same time. You've never played those? Nope. Ah, oh, dude, you're missing out. Yeah. Crush the castle is super fun, but yeah. I mean, what, what else would you categorize that as? Yeah. I mean, I'm, that's what the real question is. Like, I don't know what else it would be. Action. <laughs> just action and <laughs> nothing here but action i mean it is explosions so i guess maybe <laughs> okay so the next subgenre is coding uh it's a logical puzzle games that require programming elements so take that with you will um so i thought like mario maker and like the ps4 dreams would fit into this category but both of those genres are game creation system so <laughs> Uh, but I mean, aren't they kind of coding? You're not actually sitting there like, you know, hash, slash, you know, whatever, print, blah, blah, blah. But you are kind of programming in the fact that you're making your own levels. Well, until you give me an example of coding, I cannot confirm or deny that. I can't, maybe. So <laughs> again, <laughs> Game Builder Garage is another one which I thought would be kind of coding, which yeah. is the Nintendo kind of equivalent to Dreams kind of in a way ish uh but some other examples that actually said it on the on the wikipedia were the incredible machine and infinifactory you've ever heard of those i wish i had yeah <laughs> it's like i mean those. i don't where else would it be don't you do something coding related in that uh in the garage game what is it called game builder garage yeah yes i don't remember do. kind of I don't, it's very hard to explain, but I mean, I don't, I mean, when I was doing programming, coding, other, in other words, it's very much like a puzzle regardless, you know, but the only thing is, 
you're creating said puzzle. You know, it's not like a set puzzle. It's not like a, oh, you did this correctly. You win the game kind of thing. You know, it's you are making your own objective and make and putting your own pieces into it. Yeah. So I don't know if I agree if that's a puzzle game or not. I think it might be. Uh, its no, own I mean, if it had to be. Oh, yeah, I'm with you there. Its own category is exactly what we should we should say. Uh, and just to be clear, Game Builder Garage on Wikipedia is not a coding game. It is a programming game. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, what's the difference when you say you're programming and you say you're, you say you're coding? I'm dead. I've been in computer science classes. I know the terminology. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll just throw that one out the window and say we don't care. Because I don't think those games really exist anymore anyways, do they? what programming games no 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 coding specifically logical puzzle games that require programming elements i mean i certainly haven't heard of any (laughs) okay next is exploration puzzle games this includes uh, let's see what you think here includes point and click games that often exhibit similarities with adventure games and walking simulators unlike logical puzzle games though These games generally require inductive reasoning, which is a method of reasoning where you draw conclusions by going from the specific to the general, you know, to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. The defining trait is that the player must experiment with mechanisms in each level before they can solve the puzzle. Yeah. (laughs) Puzzle elements do not... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. But I would say, like, escape the room, you know, point and click type of game, then that is... It's kind of a puzzle. Yep, that is one of the examples, actually. Huh. Um, so puzzle elements do not uh, have consistency throughout the game, so there's a lot of guessing and checking and exploration to reveal more of the puzzle. Um, now, I feel like I've played a bunch of these on like the PC. Uh, do you, have you ever played the Impossible Quiz? That doesn't ring a bell. Oh, my gosh. What, uh. what games have you played? Anyway, it's like one of those <laughs> things where... You're given a, like, there's different levels and you're given a screen and you have to just figure out what you're supposed to do. Is it supposed to, you know, drag all the smaller X's and all the larger X's together? Is it to put all the colors in order? Is it, you know, like that? But you're not really, like, exploring, like, walking. It's, like, all one screen. So I don't know where that fits. But you are kind of, like, supposed to, like, explore everything on the page. Hmm. Anyway, some examples is... Of exploration is Mist, Limbo, um, The Escape Room, games like The Room, and Mom Hid My Game, which I don't know if you know what that one is, but I think it came out really early in, I want to say, I can't remember if it was came out on the Switch or the 3DS, I can't remember, but anyway, it's like a, it's like a kind of Escape the Room game, but your mom hid like your games and you have to find them. So like, <laughs> is it in the closet or is it over here under the bed? You know, you have to like kind of solve puzzles to like find your game. That's like the example that I know. Uh, I just want to take a minute here to clarify, not clarify, uh, take a look back. Adventure was defined as a story-driven experience with exploration and or puzzle solving. So some serious overlap here. (laughs) Is that a puzzle? (laughs) Oh, man. Anyways, carry on. (laughs) Okay, so my next one is hidden object games which i'm sure you can think of some just like from books and stuff like actual physical stuff but it means a genre of puzzle games in which the character must find items 
from a list that are hidden within the scene. So everyone's classic example is... Go. I Spy. Yeah! I Spy or Where's Waldo? Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know many of... I don't have many examples of them video game-wise, but I'm sure they oh, exist actually, somewhere. Both of those game, Both of those books have games, actually. Oh, well, there you go. It's got its own category <laughs> then. Uh, and then the last one I have here is probably the you're familiar with the most is tile matching, which is players manipulate tiles in order to make them disappear according to whatever the matching criteria is. If it's three in a row, if it's like shapes or if it's one whole level. So the best known example is Tetris. Oh, it's not Candy like, Crush? You know what? <laughs> that was on there actually, but I was like, no, we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, every every mom's favorite game, Candy Crush. Yeah. No, but obviously the best known example for this is Tetris. Everyone kind of just goes back to Tetris. If it's related to Tetris in any way, it's probably a puzzle game. Um, other examples include the Poyo series, which I love so much, the Pokemon Puzzle League series, which I also love so much. Um, all of those spin-off weird Kirby puzzle games, Tilt and Tumble or whatever. Um, and then Crystal Crisis, which is a puzzle game with the Night Callus characters from like all those games that they published to the Switch, which was kind of cool. What's it called? It's called Crystal Crisis. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. I don't think I don't think Tilt and Tumble is a puzzle game. I think one oh, of no, us not. is one of us doesn't have it right in our head. I'm not sure who it is. I don't know. Well, okay. Well, Kirby does have a lot of puzzle games, though. Yeah, for sure. So Tetris ninety nine is that an action puzzle game, or is that a totally <laughs> is that a battle royale? No, no, that yeah, that'd be a battle royale. That's its own well, we category. Don't, we don't have battle royale as a category. You're right. Battle royale puzzle game. Our... Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we should put that in not a genre category or not no. a genre on its own category. Okay, yeah, I'm down with that. I have a, a section in here that I will talk about a little bit. I all think right, that's all I got for puzzle, though. Just think Tetris. If you're thinking puzzle, <laughs> think Tetris. If it's like Tetris, it's probably a puzzle game. Yep, that's exactly how I would describe I Spy and Mist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's like Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we didn't plan for this originally but i think we're actually going to split this into two episodes because we're already at two hours and we still have so many genres to cover so like we're not even halfway through <laughs> right <laughs> um so yeah we will see you in july for the rest of these genres um make sure to join the discord and we will also be covering the listener responses we have a lot more to talk about in the next episode so stay tuned for that um hannah anything you want to throw in here at the end um you know if we're wrong tell us we're wrong and if you can explain some of these that we didn't quite get that'd be awesome i'm always down to learn absolutely you know if if someone asks me you know what's an adventure blah 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 game um i want to be able to tell them you know i don't want to be ignorant (laughs) so if you could share that'd be great what are your thoughts on action being a genre? And what are your thoughts on it being lumped into adventure? Um, yeah, be nice in the comments. I will say that. I'm kind of sensitive. Yeah, I do cry at night sometimes when people are angry <laughs> and mean to me. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, be nice. Caring, Sharing is caring and being caring is nice. Where can the people <laughs> find you on the internet and write you awful, rude messages, Hannah? 
Yeah, please DM me or comment on any of my pictures on Game Girl Advance SP on Instagram. I'm at Bird Dog Gaming everywhere. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in July. See you. <laughs>